good to see you guys this morning. I want to uh, want to take a minute for us to uh, to pray together as a church. Uh, I just got word a few minutes ago that uh, Miss Dolores Thomas, who's uh, uh, one of the sweet ladies in our church, um, she has uh, ever since COVID she has been in Florida, uh, but they are with us online literally every week. Uh, in fact, they even they even attend Bible study with Miss Debbie uh, online every week via Zoom and whatnot. Uh, her and her her daughter Cindy, uh, and they have stayed down there mainly because of her, a lot of health complications that she has had. Uh, but got word just a little bit ago uh, that uh, they're calling the family in to be with her, and that she's she's not doing well. She's not been well, but she's she's had she's had a pretty good week despite some some things that had happened. So uh, I just felt like it's a good opportunity for us to pray for her. So why don't we why don't we take just a second and pray for Miss Dolores real quick? And uh, yeah, let's do that now. God, uh, we lift up uh, we lift up Miss Dolores. Uh, we lift up Cindy. Uh, we lift up their whole family to you right now, Lord. I know that they have been through an incredible amount of stuff uh, with her health, and um, God, you know way better than than we do about what's going on with her and all those things. And um, God, I just pray uh, for comfort and peace in this moment. Um, God, we just we lift them up to you. God, I pray, Lord, that they would know that we love them, uh, that we care for them, that you care for them, that you love them. Lord, thank you for. Uh, allowing us the chance to be able to come to you and ask for you to intercede in their lives right now uh, hundreds of miles away. And, uh, God, we ask, Lord, that you would just work there uh, and thank you that we can come to you and ask these things. It's because of what you've done through Jesus that we can, and we do so in his name. Amen. All right. Hey, uh, we we are in Easter week, and uh, uh, I'm reminded of uh, that kind of with everywhere I look, the weather, uh, I think is getting better. Uh, so uh, welcome to Tennessee. Uh, if you're not used to it, it'll get better eventually. Uh, it just takes a little time. So, uh, but no, I, I I was thinking, man, today's a today's a good uh, today's a good hot rod day. But uh, I didn't have time to go get a hot rod, so not uh, not driving it today. But uh, anyway, no, it's uh, good to be with you guys. Uh, just to, to do make mention, I do want to make mention of things that are happening this week. We have a good Friday services Friday. Uh, Joey will talk about all the time stuff then. I'm not going to get into all that, but uh, good Friday service this Friday evening. Uh, and then we also have three Easter services this coming Sunday. Uh, so make sure uh, that uh, uh, that you know what time the service is that you're coming to because the times all change on Easter for us to fit in an extra service. And uh, we'd love for you to be here. Uh, and it is it is a it is a great opportunity, uh, probably the greatest opportunity you have all year long to just randomly invite people that you haven't invited before uh, to come to come to church with you, come to Easter with you, and uh, uh, maybe a neighbor or maybe somebody, an old friend that you run into this week or something. Just kind of be sensitive to who God puts in front of you this week and think about that uh, as you're doing so. And then also, don't forget that this coming Sunday is when we are doing our big give offering. Uh, that is going to help benefit uh, us uh, purchasing or building, with whatever that looks like, uh, a uh, Hope Center house, uh, a sober living house to help people with addiction, uh, and also to go toward uh, buying a couple of vans for us to start doing some bus ministry stuff uh, and ministering to our community in those ways. Uh, they are needed. They are, those, those ways are more needed than we know. Uh, and I am uh, very aware of that today. I'll probably make mention of that later. But uh, uh, but yes, uh, please, please be praying about that. 
Uh, that's an above and beyond kind of offering thing. We do those you know once a year, so we're probably going to do one later in the year uh, because of doing this bigger <laughs> ticket thing of, of trying to do this sober living house and all of that. Um, and uh, but we're excited about that, excited about what God's going to do do with that. And uh, I know many of you are too, as I've gotten to talk with you. So good, good stuff. So uh, if you've got your Bible, let's uh, go ahead and get it out. If you don't have it, uh, and you don't have it on the phone or whatever, and you need one, our ushers have them. They'd be glad to bring you one. Just throw your hand in the air and wave it like you just don't care, and they will bring you one. And if you don't own one, you can keep that one. We'd love for you to have it, and you can consider it a gift and take it home with you. We'd love for you to have a copy of God's Word. But uh, uh, but yeah, we're going to uh, the book of Matthew today, Matthew chapter 21. Uh, and before we go to Matthew chapter 21, I'm going to have us go to another passage out of the book of John, John chapter 12. Um, and uh, I'm going to kind of bounce around today. Uh, as we're getting ready for Easter today, we're talking about Palm Sunday. Uh, Palm, Palm Sunday, as it's referred to, in the book of John, that's the only place that we actually see uh, the people wearing, waving the palm branches in the air as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem uh, in the triumphant entry as we know it to be. Uh, you know, is uh, you know was the week of Easter, the week of Passover, all this, all this happening at one time, all this like perfectly designed, timed deal that Jesus knew was going to happen, and and you know, and he's he's right in the midst of you know, orchestrating all these crazy things happening at once, uh, and we'll read through some of that today. But leading up to this, you know, last week we talked about Lazarus. You remember Lazarus? Lazarus was uh, a friend of Jesus, he and his sisters, Mary and Martha, and, uh, and Lazarus dies. And we talked last week about, you know, God's perfect timing, even in all of those things, and, and in death. And we've had many families uh, experience death in their families this week uh, and last week. Uh, here at church, and so you know, it, it, I, if you're like me, I'm selfish. I hate losing people that I love, even when I know they're going to be with the Lord. I just, I still hate it because I just, I love folks, and I want folks in my life, uh, and I love their friendship, and I love their relationships, and all those things. And so, um, you know, what we saw with Lazarus is Lazarus died. Well, his sisters are upset with him. If you remember this from last week, his sisters were upset with him when Jesus finally shows up. Four days after he died, and we talked about the four-day deal, and, uh, and, and Jesus could have gone and he could have saved him. He could have been there. He, could have, he, would, he would have known that he was getting sick. He would have known he's going to die. He could have been there. And, and, and his sisters, as soon as they see Jesus, are like, Jesus, why weren't you here? He, didn't have to, he wouldn't have died. You know, if you'd been here, you would, have, you would have healed him and he would have been fine. But Jesus didn't do that, and it was on purpose. And he purposely waited X amount of days before, once he got the word, once they all got the word, he and the disciples got the word, Lazarus is sick, he's probably going to die. And instead of taking off, Jesus stayed where he was. And he stayed till it was four days past the time of his death. And we studied and we talked about the reason for that being is that the Jewish tradition at that time was it was largely believed, not necessarily true, but largely believed by a lot of people at that time that the spirit, the soul of a person would hover over the body for three days beyond death with the possibility of that person coming back to life. Jesus didn't want them believing that it was anything but what it was. Him healing Lazarus from death. Not illness, not sickness, 
literally Jesus raising him from the dead. And so, you know, with that, you know, we talked about, you know, how the, even the town is named even to this day after Lazarus. And, you know, that was such a big thing in history. This is history, right? And, you know, all of this happening that, uh, you know, this is compounded, you know, the story of, of, of God and who Christ was. And, 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 and Jesus knew that when he, when he brought Lazarus back from the dead, he knew that a whole lot of people would pay attention. And that was on purpose. And up to this point, Jesus' ministry, we see Jesus doing a whole lot of like, you know, he'd heal somebody from, you know, blindness or whatever it may be. And then what would he tell them? He would tell them, you know, oh, well, don't, don't tell anybody. Just keep it between us. Well, this is like the, you know, what, what we're reading today is like the opposite of that. It's called the triumphant entry. It's him coming into Jerusalem just after, this is just after he's healed Lazarus. In fact, I want to read this passage out of the book of John. So, kind of catches everybody up to speed, because maybe some folks don't know, because not everybody knows a lot of these things. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the four Gospels that we have in Scripture. What that means is they are four different accounts of Jesus' life. So imagine we got four of your friends to write the biography of your life, and then we're studying on that. Well, your four friends are going to have all sorts of different things to tell about you. Some of them are going to have the same things to tell about you if they know you real well and you're, you know, really consistent in life with certain things of what you like or what you do or whatever, then, you know, they're going to have, you know, very similar stories to tell. But some of them are going to know things about you that nobody else knows. Same thing with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We've got four accounts of Christ's life. And so what we also have here is we have the story of the triumphant entry from four different people. And if you look through the Gospels and you read, and I've been doing that all week, all week uh, of the triumphant entry, if you look, there's little differences, little things in the story. They don't, they don't work against each other. They just give us more information when you read them all together. And I love that about Scripture. And I love that about how the Gospels work, and specifically even with this story, We've got some things that I want to share from three different Gospels today because I think that it would be great for us all to kind of you know, see these things together. John chapter 12, and in verse 17 is where I want to read. John chapter 12 and verse 17. We'll go, we'll go to Matthew 21 in a minute. John 12, 17 says this, The crowd had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was they had heard he had done this sign. And so here we have, in the account of the triumphant entry in the book of John, we have this, this little nugget of joy of that, you know, John had an understanding that he knew that a bunch of those people were there at the moment of the triumphant entry of Jesus coming into town. We're talking about the week that Jesus is going to die, the week that Jesus is going to rise again from the dead all of these things, that we have this understanding, that John had an understanding, that, the, that a bunch of those people were there because he had risen Lazarus from the dead. So, I think it's easy for us, if you're a believer, you've already trusted in Jesus and he's your Savior and you know that he has you know, saved you from your sin and all that stuff, you, you know, and you've got a relationship with the Lord, that's great, that's great. I think for a lot of people in that situation who've been a Christian for a long time, I think it's easy for us to think that when we read things in Scripture sometimes about people around Jesus and how they're reacting to Jesus, 
that they that they they got it. Oh, oh, they got it. Oh, that's so great that they got it. You know, they understand who Jesus is and all that kind of stuff. And that's not necessarily true. In fact, a lot of times it wasn't true. And in, in, and in this instance, John is making this statement for us to understand a lot of these people are here because of what he just did with Lazarus. Not necessarily because maybe even they believe he's the Son of God or necessarily that they believe that he is God or that they believe that he's going to come and you know save them from their sin or whatever it is. Not necessarily for those things. They have their own reasons. And their own thoughts, and they, you know, we have the whole of Scripture. They did not have that at that time, so we can't blame them, you know, too badly about this, you know. But we we can understand and see that a lot of folks come to come to Christ, come to Jesus, with who they want Him to be. And the truth is, is we at times are guilty at coming to Jesus with who we want Him to be, right? So. We've got this understanding. Some of them are there because of what has happened with Lazarus. Now I want us to go to Matthew 21. Matthew 21. And in Matthew 21.1, we're going to read the account of the triumphant entry. And I want us to check this out. We're going to stop and talk about a few things. Here it goes. Verse 1, it says this. Matthew 21, verse 1. It says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. First of all, I love that the, I love that the disciples get to just like roll up into town and be like, Hey, we're taking that donkey and colt. It's for the Lord. And then they just roll back out, right? You know, I mean, like, I'm, I'm thinking I could use this on my own somehow. I mean, I heard somebody in the church got a new car this week. I'm thinking that maybe I walk out in the parking lot and be like, the Lord needs this. We may or may not be back. We'll see, you know. Probably not going to work that way. But that's, uh, that's it's, it's awesome to get to see. And, and also, here's, here's what's really cool about this, is what you see is you see that Jesus has orchestrated everything that's happening here. Right? I mean, like, Jesus did. Jesus wasn't like, hey, I heard there's a good deal on a couple of donkeys in town. No, no, he's like, go here, they will be here, take them, when people say anything to you, say it's for the Lord and take off. He has orchestrated what's happening here. Okay? And, and there, that's, that's huge for us today. And it helps us to be reminded that God's got a perfect plan in His perfect time and He's doing His thing even when we think that we don't, you know, He doesn't know what's going on or whatever. He knows exactly what's going on. And it goes on in verse 4 and it says this. It says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, and I want you to check this out because here we have prophecy that is being fulfilled in Scripture right here as this is happening with Jesus. Hundreds and hundreds of years written before. And it says this, from Isaiah 62, 11, but I'm reading it out of Matthew 21. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden, also found in Zechariah 9, 9. So this is the fulfilling of Scripture. This is the fulfilling of prophecy that is happening before these people's eyes that this is beginning to happen. And even... Even one of the, I think it's uh, 
I think it's John that actually talks about that uh, the disciples don't even realize what's going on, maybe, or maybe it's Luke, I forget now, but anyway, the, the disciples don't really realize everything that's happened until after, after this has all happened. Like in the moment, they're not picking up on all the pieces of all this and Scripture being tied together in these things. But here we have the fulfillment of Scripture that Jesus is now going to ride this donkey into town. And I know this sounds silly, but there's a lot of meaning behind it. We're going to talk about it in just a minute. Verse 6, it says, The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey, donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks. And he set on them, set on the cloaks. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna is in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. So even in, even in, even in hearing that, even in seeing that, like it's easy, I think, for us to go, Oh, these people got it. These people get it. These people get that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah. Well, here's, here's what we know. Here's what we know. They definitely think that Jesus is the Messiah. The problem is, and we've talked about this before, but the problem is, is that when they were looking for the Messiah to come, so many of them were not looking for Jesus, the Son of God, who's going to come and save them from their sin. They were looking, they were looking for the Savior of their government. They were looking for a politician. They were looking for a king who would come and rule and make them rich, that would make their nationality great again. Okay? I mean, that's, that's really what they thought. So many of those people, I mean, they just, and again, it's so, it's so easy for us to be critical of them and be like, oh, you know, why in the world are they not getting what was really going on and who the Messiah was supposed to be and all this kind of stuff. No, no. It's easy for us to say that. We have the whole of Scripture. We have all. We have, you know, Genesis to Revelation. They did not. They did not. And so for them, you know, they're coming at this with what little knowledge that they've got of Scripture. And they're trying to understand who this Messiah is supposed to be, who this person is supposed to be, what are they supposed to do. And, and to them, they're thinking, you know, yeah, we, you know, we need to be saved. You know what Hosanna means, right? Hosanna means save me. They're, they're chanting, save us, save me. You know, out loud, they're putting their, they're putting their, their clothes on the ground for, for him, for these donkeys to walk on, for others to walk on. Or, you know, all the palm branches, same thing. And then, like, it's in uh, the book of John, in his, in his account, you know, many of these people waving palm branches, you know, and praising him or whatever. I'm thinking maybe we should get James to bring some tree branches next week or something. We could you know, wave them around while the band's playing or something. Freak Nathan out a little bit. It'd be good for him. This, uh, this, this moment, this moment seems like one thing, right? It seems from the, from the surface, like these people have got it. They understand who Jesus is. And the truth is, is I don't think they do. Like, Chris, well, that's kind of critical. Well, okay, let's think about it like this. Um, they're doing this on Sunday. 
and by Friday they're putting him on the cross. That escalated quickly. Right? I mean, this there's there's a matter of understanding, I think, for us to realize they really didn't understand who the Messiah was supposed to be. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And then, as he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And then they're saying he's a prophet. Not saying he's the Son of God. Not saying he's our Savior who's come to redeem us of our sin. They don't get it. They don't get it. Here's a question for you. Have you ever tried to ride a donkey? Of course. How'd that work out? It kept throwing you off. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I grew up working on a farm. You know, I worked on a farm, I think, from like 13 to 17 years old, which is crazy because, like, I went straight from working on a farm to working at a record label, which is, you know, weird too. Uh, you know, all different spectrums. Uh, but, you know, the whole the whole thing of, like, riding a donkey, like, you know, we see in, uh, actually in this account, in the account that Matthew shares with us of what happens, this is the only account that actually shows uh, the donkey and the colt. So we have, like, mom and, you know, the, the child, you know, kind of deal, which is great for the disciples, and that was purposeful. I, I, I would believe that was purposeful on Jesus' part because the disciples you know, would, you know, be going to get them. And if they just took the colt, well, the colt would be acting crazy, but with mom, is a whole lot calmer. But then they bring said colt and donkey to Jesus, and then Jesus is now going to ride this colt. In fact, if we look uh, in, um, I think it's in Luke. Where is it? Yes, Luke 19. Another triumph and entry account. Luke 19, verse 30, and this is in the middle of the account, so I'm just taking this verse so you get it. It says, saying, go into the village in front of you, he's talking to the disciples, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. So my years of working on the farm, uh, which I'm very grateful for, um, my years of working on the farm, one of the things that I understood was that an animal like a horse or a donkey, you couldn't ride such an animal unless it had been broken. Now, if it had been broken and it had been ridden before and had been trained to be ridden, then, you know, great, you know, ride away. Here we have yet, see, you, know, you get these little nuggets of joy from each of the accounts or whatever. Here we have this little nugget of joy of that this colt had never even been set on. And now suddenly Jesus is riding it in a town? What in the world is that about? I think that we see something here that's very important to the overall, you know. I think we see all these little things that are all adding up to other things for us to take away from the story and the understanding of who Jesus is and what He's doing. First of all, we have, a, we have a cult that's never been set on, which very, very much kind of has that feeling of like, you know, uh, what we see in the Old Testament when they would, 
you know, sacrifice an animal, you know, they'd want like the cleanest animal, the best animal, the, the virgin, so to speak, you know, kind of sacrifice. And here we have that, like here's the, here's the best one for Jesus to ride in on, but yet it's not broken. And He's riding in on it. But then we see a second thing. And the second thing that I think we see there is the reminder of who Jesus is. Jesus isn't just a man. Jesus is a man. He's fully man, but He's also fully God. And so for our understanding to go back to the whole of Scripture, Jesus is the Creator of the world. So now we've got a situation where it's not just a guy wanting to ride a donkey that's never been ridden before. It's the Creator of the world that wants to ride that donkey. And so, by no surprise, when you think about it through that lens, you have the understanding that Jesus, who created the donkey, has the ability to do whatever He wants to. And the reminder that all of creation, all of nature, sings the praises of God. In fact, not only do we have the reminder of that here, but if you go on later in the account in the book of Luke, Luke 19, going back to that again, it says this in verse 39. It says, And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And, he, and, and what, they're, what, what they're saying is they're like, Jesus, tell these guys to be quiet. Tell them to quit shouting Hosanna. Quit telling them to tell, tell you how great you are. And Jesus answers in verse 40. He says, I tell you, if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. The very stones would cry out. Again, which is a reminder that all of nature was created to worship God. When God did that, you know, it's easy for us to look at that and go, man, God, God's like, you know, He's pretty egotistical. You could look at it that way. But I don't look at it that way. Here's how I look at it. I look at it as God created all of nature and all of creation to sing His praises and created us to worship too. And again, we've talked about that. We did the whole Idol Factory series, you know, based upon, you know, that we make idols out of all these things because we were created to worship, right? And the understanding a lot of times that we, we end up worshiping other things instead of God Himself, like we put other things on the thrones in our lives uh, other than Jesus. But God created all of creation to worship Him so it would point us in the direction of where we need our worship to be. It's not always where we want our worship to be. We love worshiping other stuff. I love worshiping other stuff. Who doesn't? You know, we'll worship, we'll worship all kinds of stuff. We've talked about this a lot. We'll worship things will worship people you know i mean a lot of times it's good stuff it can be like a relationship and relationships are great but when we put those things in front of the lord we're reminded that they are not god and they will let us down and they also don't need to be our moral compass in life we need the lord we need jesus and here the pharisees are being pharisees which you know I mentioned last week, they're like the guys that are in the comments, you know, like don't, you know, don't click on the comments, don't read the comments, just keep scrolling. It's when you click on the comments and it starts going downhill, right? You know, and that's these guys. And they're like, oh, you got to tell them to be quiet. Jesus is like, nah, not going to do it. I tell you, if they were silent, the very stones around you would 
cry out to me. This is a response. This is a response. We see a worship response here. We see Jesus talking about what the response would be from nature, but we also see the response of these people. And these people are worshiping Jesus without a doubt. Now, whether or not they really know Jesus, I'm going to leave that between them and the Lord. But I think this is a great reminder for us to ask ourselves, where is our worship? What are our idol factory hearts whipping up these days for us to worship? What are the things that, that we you know, are getting so ingrained in in this world that we're missing the Lord? Luke 19. Luke 19 and verse 41. And I'm going to read through this passage, but I want you to pay real close attention to the, first, the very first part of it. It says, and when he drew near, okay, Jesus, is, Jesus is starting to come to where he can see the city of Jerusalem. It says, when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it. Saying, would that you, even you, had known this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade. He's prophesying at this moment of what's going to happen to Jerusalem. Okay, That your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in from every on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Like, whoa. Where'd that come from? We just I thought we were having a party. Right? Like we're just have we're having this moment of like Jesus is coming into town. He's coming in like a king. You know, coming in like he just, you know, won the war and the you know, here's the big hurrah, you know, and yay Jesus and save us Jesus and all this stuff. You know, and then what this? And what we see here is we see Jesus, verse 41, and when he drew near, he saw the city, and he saw the city, he wept over it. He wept over it. And here we are, just after we saw him with the situation with Lazarus, right? Remember what happened with Lazarus? And we have the shortest passage in all Scripture, the shortest verse. Jesus wept, right? Jesus cried there too. Why is, why is Jesus crying about this stuff? Did he not know? Yeah, he knew. He knew what was up. But again, we have a picture into fully man and fully God. Both things are existing here in Christ. And, and, and we're having this moment where we get to see him literally just torn up about the people of Jerusalem. He's, he's, not, worried about the, he don't, he's not worried about the buildings. He's not worried about me. He's prophesying about what's going to happen. You guys are going to just get your, you know, tail beat, you know, and the whole city's going to get torn apart, you know. But at the end of the day, he's not worried about. He's not worried about, you know, buildings falling down and mortar and bricks and all this kind of stuff. He's he's thinking about the people. But what what people is he thinking about? He's thinking about the people of Jerusalem, which what have turned their backs on God. They've turned their backs on God. And yet he's weeping over them. And I'm like, huh. That's me. That's me. 
for all the times in my life that I have turned my back on the Lord. And yet, He still went to the cross for me. That He still wept over me. He knew I'm an idiot on the best day of my life. And He still loved me. Furthermore, we see His love for a community of people. And I'm reminded of the mission in which He's called us to His 24 church, that we too would love our community. That we would love our community like God loves it. That we would do things like building a hope house, buy vans. i got to tell you, this week, the mission that God has given us is even more real than it's been in a long time. And I can't even tell you why right now. I literally can't tell you why yet. But I will. I will. And we'll all be reminded of why God has called us to do these things that He's calling us to. It's not just like, hey, let's raise some money to go do something. Spend some money on something. That's not who we are. That's not 24. It's not me. Like, who cares about just spending money on stuff? God has called us to this community to love them, to care for them, to not turn our backs on them. God didn't turn our backs, His back on us even when we turned our backs on Him. And it's this reminder, we're not better than anybody else. We can't look at a people group in our community and go, well, you know, they've just made bad decisions. Let's just, where they are, and there's nothing we can really do for them. No, there is something we can do for them. It's called the gospel. It's called loving them. It's called taking Jesus to them. It's called being Jesus to them. It's called helping them out of those situations. And as God is leading us to do that, we have to remember We are not better than anybody else. We are all sinners saved by grace. And furthermore, saved by His grace, not our own. Like as Ephesians teaches us, it is not by works that we are saved, but only by the grace of God given to us through Christ Jesus. He comes into town triumphant entry comes into town. I mean, just blowing the lid off this thing. You know, I'm, I'm sure that the disciples who had watched him for all this time leading up to this point where he would heal a blind person or whatever and then tell him, hey, be quiet, don't go tell anybody. You know, that I'm sure they're like, what in the world is going on now? Like, what? How, why is Jesus like all about like letting everybody know what's going on right now why is this a thing right now you know jesus made an entry like a king but yet different kings don't generally come into town for their triumphant entry on a donkey now there is exceptions one of the guys shared this with me after the first service, he did a little research. I love this, by the way. I'm always like, well, I could have used that 20, years, 20 minutes ago. You know, but uh, they would at times. And when they did, it signified peace. Which Jesus, of course, came to bring all of us. And definitely came to bring the city of Jerusalem that day. 
200 years before him, 200 years before him, Simon Maccabeus would come into town the same way. Triumphant entry, the whole thing, everybody cheering, you know, rejoicing in the victory of war. Riding his war horse, soldiers in tow, polished up the polished up the armor just before we topped the hill so we're looking good when we're coming into town. Rejoicing in the victory of war. But Jesus claims no victory with weapons. Jesus comes in humility and came for victory over our sin. That's the Savior we need. It wasn't the Savior that they wanted. They wanted a politician. They wanted a king. They wanted a guy that was going to make their people the best people. Make them wealthy. But that's not why Jesus came. Jesus came for redemption. Jesus came for second chances. Jesus came that no matter who we are, what we've done in life, that we can call on His name, trust in Him, and believe in Him to be our Savior. And He saved us. And us have a relationship with God. How amazing is that? And this morning, maybe you came here for something different. Maybe you came here for some other reason, but I can tell you the reason that God wanted you to be here. And it's so that, he, so that you know that He loves you. And it's so that you know that He sent His Son to die for you. And to know that your sin has been paid for. But you must believe. You must believe. Now, I can't do that for you. Your mom and dad can't do that for you. Nobody else can do that for you. You just have to, you have to know. If God is speaking to your heart today, I, I encourage you. I encourage you today to believe, to trust in Him. To believe in Him, to be who He is, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, who would die on a cross on Friday and then conquer death and raise from a tomb on the next Sunday. It's a lot happening in one week. It's amazing how quickly folks will turn their back on Him, but the truth is, is and I think that's true of us. We still do that with the Lord. We still turn our backs on Him at times. We don't mean to a lot of times, but we do it. And the truth is, is that we're called to trust in Him, believe in Him, and let Him be the Lord of our whole lives. Not just parts of it, but the whole thing all the time. And this morning, i got, I got to ask you, if you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior, if you've never believed in Him, and you would like to talk, to somebody about what that means, I'm going to be out in the foyer as soon as I walk off this stage. I would love, love to talk with you, pray with you about what it means to trust in Jesus as your Savior. If you've never believed in Him, never prayed to receive Him as your Savior, I would love, I would love to just help you with that. No pressure. Just love you. Just want you to know the Lord. Just want Him to change your life like He's changed mine. victory lap. That's what the triumphant entry is. It's a victory lap. For a king coming back from battle, 
only our king wasn't coming back to do a victory lap for a war that was won against people. Our king was doing a victory lap for the war on sin. By His grace, we are saved. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your grace. For Your grace, undeserved. Lord, because You loved us. Because You care for us. Because You want us to know You. Because You want us to be a part of Your family. Lord, You sent Your Son to die. That we might know You. That we might have a relationship with We thank You today, Lord, for all that You've done for us. But especially today, we thank You for sending Your Son, Jesus. God, even in this week, God, I pray, Lord, that You would impress on our hearts, Lord, what You've really done in sending Christ. God, I pray as we remember the cross this week, as we approach an empty tomb this week, Lord, that we are blessed to know the whole story of what You've done through Your Son. God, thank You. Thank You that we can trust. Thank You that we can believe. Thank You that we can know You. God, I pray for anyone, Lord, that's thinking about that right now, that's never trusted in You today. Lord, I pray that You would speak to their heart. Lord, that You would help them to see their need for a Savior. God, thank You for helping me to see that in my life. And thank You for saving me despite who I am, despite my own sin. God, we love You. God, as we worship You, God, I pray, Lord, that our worship would be pure. God, I pray that it would be for You. God, I pray that You would have it every day, all the time. Lord, that's so hard for us. But Lord, You can help us with that. God, I pray that You do. God, thank You for a Savior who came to humility, that came for victory over sin. God, I pray, Lord, that we would know Him more and more every day. God, thank You for Your Son. We ask all this in His name.